Uh, right now, we're going to invite uh, four guys up here, two church planters and two authors who've written things that relate to uh, rural church planting. What we're going to do is uh, just interact over uh, rural um, topics and uh, things that these guys have given themselves to and uh, spend a little time just interacting. We've got some questions written here and then uh, toward the end of this, if there's still time and uh, you have a question from the floor, we might be able to take that as well. Uh, let me pray. Jesus, um, we're full of food and we're grateful for that. It's a reminder that you, you care for your, uh, your, your daughters and sons. And now, Lord, uh, thank you for my, my four brothers here and what they have done with their lives and what they are doing with their lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that this would be a benefit to all of us as we uh, discuss um, rural ministry. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Glenn, I want to start with you. Glenn has written a book, uh, The Forgotten Church, and uh, it's the book we, you should have received as you came in. And uh, I want to start with a question for you about, um, about what you see, see as the challenges of present-day rural ministry uh, and, and some of the hopes you have for that. Well, first of all, why do I go first? I'm the, I'm the old guy, and I can't even remember what's going on. Well, so maybe we just want to, before you drift off to sleep here, we yeah, want yeah. you to. <laughs> Thank you, David. Uh, well, I think some of the biggest challenges, first of all, I think the, the concern I have is that we have a renewed interest in rural ministry, and, which is great. And I see a lot of young people here, and, and I'm thrilled with that. The challenge is, uh, is it going to be a fad? Mm. And I... And I this, and this kind of corresponds to the second biggest challenge that's facing rural areas, and that is the, the future of shortage of pastors in rural America. Uh, Patricia Chang did a study of the shortage of pastors, the perceived shortage of pastors, and her conclusion was there's not a shortage of pastors, there's a shortage of pastors willing to go into small communities. And uh, we're going to see that, I think, as one of the biggest challenges that we face is who's going to replace those guys like me that are getting older. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and why, do you think that's, why do you think there's a resistance to um, the younger generation of pastors to go to rural places? I think there's several, there's several reasons for that. One is in the educational system, you look at all the Bible colleges and seminaries, they're located in urban centers taught by pastors of urban churches. And so naturally, it's not that they deliberately ignore rural communities and rural ministry. It's just it's not on their radar. And the second thing is, it's kind of like the, the Southern Baptists, this last, uh, the head of the sub, Southern Baptist, uh, Greer, I think his name, spoke at the conference over Christmas, the youth conference, and he challenged them to small visions are not Jesus' visions. That if you have a, a vision, it's going to be a big vision. Well, that, the problem is, as soon as a, a person hears that, now I think his context was the vision is the gospel and, and being a part of that. But the thing is, what he, people heard, though, was, well, why would I go to a small town? and devote myself to 30 people. That's a small vision, and I don't believe it is. But I think that's the perception that is, is being taught, that 
You know, don't waste yourself in a small community. We've got to reach the, the, the cities. And, and so that kind of compounds that problem. So that if you look at the studies that have been done in terms of only about 16, 17% of those who are in Bible college and seminary who are looking at pastoral ministry uh, even consider small town because they look at the size of the church and they're looking at the pay as major factors, and that's not going to fit small town ministry. So, Thank you. And for the benefit of... Uh for me, because I just met you today. No, but the benefit of anybody else here, could you just get a little bio of yourself? And uh, yeah. Okay, well, I grew up in a farm in northern Idaho. Uh, my brothers and family still all live in the farm. Uh, so I've pastored for 31 years now in small churches, predominantly where I'm at, where I've been there for uh, about 20, well, 27 years now. And then uh, I'm on the board at Village Missions, and so my passion has always been the rural area because that's, that's what I eat and breathe. And uh, there's a reason I'm not in an urban center. I say there's three reasons. One is they wouldn't want me. Two, I wouldn't want to be in a city. And three, they wouldn't understand my farm stories. So There you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, Sean Binesh is a, a professor up at uh, Multnomah University and another school. Um, I'll forget that. And I was introduced to him actually through a friend of mine who worked for Team Mission and uh, was told to link up with him because uh, while he's done a lot with uh, thinking and writing on urban ministry, some of his entrepreneurial uh, discussions really... Um, relate to what I think will be huge for future rural planters, which uh, was brought up, Glenn, by you as far as how do we finance ourselves in these places. So, Sean, um, thank you for being here, and uh, maybe give a little more bio. I know you grew up in Iowa, so you got some uh, creds that way, uh, um, rural creds. There is no context ever where growing up in Iowa gives you any cred. <laughs> None. No, I don't know. We'll, we'll take it. So can you, uh, so you, you've written about entrepreneurial, um, uh, really in urban settings where we're taking entrepreneurial skills and ministry and church planning vision to, uh, to urban centers, but I see that just having a huge relationship to uh, small towns. Um, what sort of led you into that, and uh, how do you see that gaining traction, if it is? Yeah, so, I mean, this is kind of crazy full circle. So I grew up in Iowa, not just Iowa, but rural Iowa. Um, came to faith in Christ in a church of 30, in a town of 70. Um, so I was a town kid. Um, Lebanon is a big town compared to where I grew up. Uh, my wife grew up on a farm. No joke, one of my first dates was helping castrate hogs. Um, so, yeah, I earned my chops that way. Uh, hated cities, did not like cities, did not get cities, terrified of cities. Fast forward the storyline, been teaching, you know, urban studies, um, love cities, passionate about cities, would consider myself an urbanist, had written a lot on cities. Um, and so it's really, obviously, I have that in my whole background and, and upbringing, um, but it really has been deep diving into cities 
and economics of cities and population trends and immigration that kind of has brought me back into thinking about and considering rural areas in regards to economics and everything. So we talk about gentrification, we talk about urbanization, we always talk about one facet of it, but we don't think or talk much about like, you know, if we talk urbanization, which is a process of people going from rural to urban, well, what about the rural? And then we talk about the economics, the change in the growth of you know, local, regional, global economics and you know, post-industrialism and all that. But again, that has an enormous effect upon rural communities. And then you apply then the whole lens of, of ministry and particularly planting, then you know, why aren't people going to rural America anymore? Because it, a lot of it really is an economic issue as well. Um, so you know, part of my dissertation was looking at why we plant churches where we do and some of the motivating factors behind that. And really, once you peel off that top layer, the number one response as to why did you plant a church where you did, because everyone's going to say God told them. And I'm not going to mess with that because I think I've learned that I'm not going to mess with that. So, but once you peel that away, really every other response had to do with like, I like the area. It was livable. It was desirable. So when you look at a city, it explains why we plant in trendy, cool neighborhoods or family-friendly suburbs. And it also explains why we don't plant in rural areas because it's not desirable. And again, that component could be educational, it could be economics as well, which is kind of why then the whole social entrepreneurship conversation comes in for us if we're going to think about planning in a low-income community or a place in economic decline, whether it's an urban neighborhood or a rural community, then one of the questions that we need to answer is, well, how, do, how does a planter sustain themselves? Um, that's a great ringtone. Um, so how does a planter sustain themselves apart from hoping that the church would be able to give enough and so let's be proactive, let's think and act like a missionary, like we would of sending someone overseas, and we think about a missionary platform and self-sustaining through starting up a business that not only can help sustain them individually, but also bring some kind of added value and benefit to the community. Yeah, thanks. And, and follow-up question to that, and I want to say that on the heels of our first speaker here, John Heinley, uh, Broad Grace Church that they planted, uh, bought a vacant building and rent, renovated it and rented it out to a coffee shop, not a Christian coffee shop. So it brought a coffee shop to a village that did not have a coffee shop, and then it provided a place for their congregation to meet. And uh, I thought that was, that's, there's, there's a lot of, of sort of on the spectrum of what this looks like, but um, a follow-up question to, uh, to what you were just speaking of. Um, if, if you're talking to a young guy who has, seems to have a, a, a bandwidth that includes some real entrepreneurial skills, how, how would you coach him into considering um, planting as an entrepreneurial person using a business for mission type of, of mentality in a rural place? How would you coach him? Well, to me, I think it all goes back to more than just being entrepreneurial, like I know this is really going to be original, but just thinking and acting like a missionary, like there's something amazing that happens, all right? So bear with me. So you put someone in this pressurized tube, and that pressurized tube goes at like 700 miles an hour, and it flies at about 30,000 feet in the air. And then 
After that adventure across an international boundary or across a large body of salt water, that person lands, then all of a sudden they're creative, they're innovative, and they're doing all these great things in the context of planting or missions, but have that person not jump in that pressurized tube, otherwise known as a plane. And we talk about missions, or we don't even talk about missions, we talk about church planting. It's always kind of this tried and true conversation. So for me, a lot of it is... First of all, getting someone to think and act like a missionary here because we send people overseas, wherever that may be, and they're innovative. They're thinking about a missionary platform, thinking about how to integrate into the community, exegete the community. Um, so I think if we can get people to think and act like a missionary here, then the whole entrepreneurship thing comes along with it because you're thinking about sustaining themselves, again, that missionary platform as well. Um, so I think for me it's that, that, that shift first, and then once everyone buys in, then it's like, that would then like walking you through how to start a business or nonprofit. It's easy. Great. Yeah. One of my favorite questions to ask when I'm doing an assessment for Acts 29 is the guy sitting there who's all excited about going to reach town or village X uh, and they have their references and they've done their theology. But I say, can you give in the name of two or three lost people who are still as lost as lost can be who think you're one of their best friends? Because if you cannot build friendships with, and be on mission to lost people, how do you expect going to this town? You're going to not just reach people, but then train people to be on mission. So um, his, uh, Sean's book, Intrepid, I highly recommend it. I know he didn't get too many copies here, but uh, um, if you're thinking uh, in those regards, I really urge you to read it. it. It helps you think through categories and pushes some of the... Um, preconceived ideas of what this looks like. So thank you, Sean, for being here. Sam, thanks for being here too. You're the uh, son of a rural pastor, and you're presently a rural pastor. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, for the first, for the first 31 years of my life, I swore I would never plant, and here I am. So. I don't know what happened. Well, I know what happened. He prayed that I would. So, and my dad's sitting right here, by the way. Yeah. Raise your hand, Dad. Yeah. There he is. D, yeah. D has uh, eight children, six daughters, two sons, and you married a wife from a family of eight. Family of eight. Yeah, she's the oldest. And you proposed her on the top of what rock is that? Beacon Rock. Beacon Rock. They proposed there. I don't know if that means anything. On the East Coast, that means nothing, but evidently uh, that's It's something. a funny story. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so one of the qualifications for planting rural is to say you'll never do it, mm -hmm. okay? Yep. <laughs> We've got some qualified candidates right here. <laughs> um, what has been your experience? What has been um, maybe um, a sense of how did you get called to where you are? And um, what have been the best parts of that? So uh, I was talking with Mark after the last session and just realizing being a second generation rural church planter how much of what he was saying I've received through osmosis I didn't realize that I was learning it as I was learning it I didn't realize it was a part of me until when you know when somebody like Mark says it back to you as effectively as he did or when somebody like my dad says it back to you you go yeah that makes sense yeah I get that and you, then you all of a sudden realize oh it's because I was raised in that so um the story for me for planting was quite simply that I was running from it. And uh, my dad has a story about how he got into ministry and he was, felt like, you know, he was going one direction and God wanted him to go another. And the way God convinced him that he wanted him to go in this direction was that he killed all his cows. 
he was a dairy farmer, and God killed his cows. Literally killed his cows. All of them. Uh, and that was, you know, the big story into him being called into ministry. And so I had different cows. I wasn't a dairy farmer. Um, but God killed my cows. Okay. And so here I am. And uh, basically the, the model of my dad's church, they planted six churches, right? Six? They planted six churches. And basically what they did as a rural, rural church who was drawing from other rural communities as they grew, they would raise up a leader and send those leaders, that leader with the group of people that was commuting from that other rural community back to that community. Mm. Uh, and so I just did that. So Staten, 35 minutes north of here, um, uh, we started a small group. Um, and uh, half a dozen families in this group started talking about the idea of them being the next JBC plant. And I kind of sat in the corner and nodded, you know, ha knowing that he and I were already praying about this and, and um, about where we were going to do this. And so God pretty much put us there. Mm. Um, but again, you don't, I, I didn't realize, I never would have dreamed of planting in an urban uh, setting. It, it just never really crossed my mind. Mm. Um, but sure. as things have gone, ha have gone on, the, thi the things that I think have been the strengths have been the idea that, uh, that we're not calling people out of a community, we're going into a community. Uh, and so uh, building a church through um, coaching a junior high basketball team, um, getting my kids involved in all the things in that community, getting my wife involved in the things of the, that community. And so Staten's a town of 8,500. Um, it's not, like to the naked eye, it's nothing like Prairie City. Uh, and, but one of the stories that Mark told about uh, as we were standing here between the sessions, he said uh, there was a guy in the community that he played basketball with. And they were in a basketball game, and something happened with another guy, and this guy grabbed this dude by the neck, put him up against the wall, and said, don't ever touch my pastor again. And Mark said, this guy never set foot in my church. Uh, but he considered me his pastor. And I've had those, those interactions. One of the principals at one of the schools in town, um, I take him coffee periodically, and he said to somebody else, yeah, same, yeah, same as my pastor. He's never set foot in my church. Mm. And maybe he never will. But... Mm. Um, entering into a community and becoming a part of the community, not, not in such a way to sell them something, but to be a part of the community and to put down roots Great. Um, has been really, I think, central for us. And how yeah. long have you been at that? Eight years. Eight years. Almost eight years. Okay. Great. Great. Tom Desmond is uh, not from the uh, Pacific Northwest here. He's from Wisconsin. Uh, and unlike um, others, he, um, Tom grew up in Chicago and is now pastoring in rural. And I, Tom, talk to us a little bit about that because uh, actually one of the questions here, how does a rural, no, um, how is a rural community pastor working? No, no, that's not it. Uh, which one is it? Any tips for a city boy who has been transplanted to a rural setting? That's you. So have at it. Yeah. So I, I grew up my, my whole life, northern suburbs of Chicago. So six million people in the greater Chicago area. Um, and I can't explain it exactly. I just hated it, always, my whole life. I just hated it. Uh, it was noisy. People were mean. Um, people are mean where I live, too, but you know, it's a different kind of mean. It's a nice mean. It's a nice mean. They give you cheese. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Wisconsin and cheese, you just have to. Yeah, yeah. 
so, but anyway, so I just always felt this draw um, from young boy all the way up to adulthood that I don't belong here. This is not where I should be. And I didn't really, like, I didn't really connect that to church planting until I was about um, 25, 26. Uh, and so then my wife and I were um, down in North Carolina doing student ministry. We knew we weren't going to stay down there. That wasn't our culture. Uh, we wanted to get back to the Midwest. And we thought, let's plant a church, but we don't want to go back to Chicago. Like, we will not go back to Chicago. Uh, and so we started to pray about it. And, and we landed on this little town called Anago, Antigo. Um, it was where we would go up and uh, independently of each other. Uh, it was kind of that vacation spot for us. Just our families would go up a little north of where we live. Lots of lakes, lots of forests. You know, so we would go up there. And that's where I, my heart like, came alive as a kid. And I started to think, man, I don't think there's churches there, or at least not very many, and very few that are gospel-centered. So that was what drew us um, to that place. And we went, okay, this, there's a need, and we'll just go and try it. And we were young enough and dumb enough to try it, and we moved without jobs. We just got there and got a job at Walmart and worked. And you guys have Walmarts here, right? I, I haven't seen one yet, but... I'm assuming there's, there's some. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, I worked at Walmart for a year, then worked at the Boys and Girls Club, and just worked in, in the town. But that's, that's, yeah, it was just this, like, undefinable, I just hate living in Chicago. And there's, the Lord eventually revealed, I think, to me that there's a reason for that. So I'm not sure hate is a really good motivation to plant. <laughs> Just kidding. Probably not, but you know. <laughs> yeah, no, hey. no. I, Tom and I are close. Here's, here's a question for all of you guys to kind of consider. We are a small rural church with mostly retired people. How can we get younger people in the church? The quintessential question. Uh, I, I have the, I'll, I'll, so most of our church is young. Um, I guess it could be because I'm young. I don't know. Uh, but I think, I think it's, it's because, um, at least in our community, the, in, the church, it's predominantly Catholic in our community, um, but it has it is just created this, this void of Bible preaching. There just isn't a culture of Bible in our community. There's a culture of religion, um, but there's not a culture of the Bible. And, and what people have said over and over again to me as they've come in, and most of them are in their 20s and 30s, early 40s, uh, they're saying, we just loved that you taught the Bible. We didn't hear it anywhere else. And so, that, you know, we, we always talk about how, you know, young people are flying from the church. I don't think they're flying from the church as much as they're flying from the religion that is void of the gospel. Uh, but when you give them the gospel and the word of God, then that's, that's where things start to turn on in their hearts. I, for me, I think you gotta move outside the walls. Like, you, I mean, you just have to step outside the office, step outside the pew, step outside the doors, and go, go find them. Because hmm. if we just sit and wait for them to come to us, I mean. Not coming. It's not, not coming. No. Yep. Well, I think one of the things we have to face in rural America is that's part of the demographic, is that rural America itself, unless you're, you're 
in a high amenity area where you may be getting influx of young people who are uh, working off-site kind of thing, uh, or closer to an urban center, most rural areas are facing the, the brain drain. And um, part of the reason why we have older people in our church is because that's who's in the community. And uh, so I, I think there's, first of all, because it's something we've wrestled with as well as our church. I mean, you look at our community and, and the school's probably dropped since my kids were there 10 years ago, about a third. So we're not having young people move into the community. We're having them move out. And so all the kids that grew up in our church are no longer there. So we're not getting that next generation. But the people moving in are retired or semi-retired. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've determined, even though we have an Awana program and a good kids, is I think it's important to focus upon who's there rather than worry too much about who's not there. Because otherwise we can get so concerned about that that it really distracts from our ministry and discourages our ministry. Um, you know, I think you need, you need good youth programs like Awana or some other program, but also recognize God's in charge of that. And so look at your community and say, okay, who's in our community? And that's who we need to reach. And, and not get concerned, you know, because the, ad, the old adage, well, you know, our church is dying. Rural churches ha are resilient. And everybody thinks they're dying, but they're not. Uh, it's just that when you're dealing with 30 people all the time, you think, and we're taught that if you're not growing, you're dying. But uh, like I say, I think you just focus upon the who's there. Make sure you have, when young people come, make sure they're included. Uh, but don't get discouraged. Yeah, I think, I mean, you brought it up. I think that would, yeah. How do you fight trends? You know what I mean? Because so, so many articles I've read of late that talk about the, the graying of rural America. So there's the demographic realities and there's the economic realities. And I feel like I'm, I full confess I'm part of the problem because I just like crap. How many times have I told students that come from rural Oregon and they're in my class, I'm just like, you know, you guys are not going back. Just because that's the economic reality. You come to the city, you go to the university, and I'm just like, man, if you're remotely, oh, it sounds so bad, I apologize, I'm not thinking. But I'm like, if you're remotely ambitious, you're probably not going back to your small town. Like, you know what I mean? And I grew up in a small town. The only way to move up and to get an education is you have to move out. Like, I didn't have a choice. Like, you had to move out. You had to move to the city or a bigger town to get at least a college education. And you think about adding loans and you think about all that. And, and then, again, the economic well in rural America drying up. And then I think that's very problematic. And I love what you said. It's like, well, just pastor the community that's there. I don't think we can necessarily reverse the trend. I mean, we can play a role. Um, in part of then the economic development, um, but yeah, that's a, it's hard to fight, not just like fads, but these, these huge trends of, of, of demographic trends and economic trends. Dexter, Maine is about four hours north of where I live, way up in uh, the woods of Maine, a town about 3,000, and the old Baptist church there, they called a young pastor, and he was, they did a transition between the old pastor who's still on staff part-time and then the, the young pastor, but he's fallen in love with that community, coaches the soccer team, and they, they are uh, just in heavily invested. I think one of the strategies would be 
that, you, that we need to call young pastors to consider going to plant or pastor in rural places. Another thing uh, older churches can do is what happened here. The older church that met in this building used to meet out there. They gathered out there. There was not enough of them to meet here. They prayed for years after year, year after year after year for God to send them young people, and they staffed the nursery every week just in case somebody brought a child, and they eventually gave the church to a church plant. And I think God answered their pray prayer in a different way. Um, and so I think some, some of the things we have to think about are just not like... The, tip, the typical um, solutions. Uh, one of the questions here, and I'm going to answer this, is how do you define rural? Um, and Acts 29, we don't take a, we, we, we're going to use the modern twist. We ask you to self-identify. Uh, in other words, we use words like, are you in an isolated, small, forgotten place? Technical term would be a lesser populated place. Uh, but we, we are not going to come up with a number. Some organizations will use like a number of 5,000. Well, does that mean when you get to 5,005, you're now suburban? Um, so we just refuse to try to give a... Uh, it's, it's a feel, it's, it's an issue of isolation. It can be economic, it can be demographic. But Acts 29, we just say, is it a, uh, a, an isolated, forgotten, small place? Another question here... Um, and I think this is just a practical one when it, when it comes. And you heard a lot of this, I think, with the stories that um, Mark shared. Oh, by the way, Mark, there was a question. The hat that you got from Dor uh, Dorothy, did it fit you? Where are you? <laughs> that was the question. Okay. That was a written question. Any creative ideas for engagement with and serving the community? Uh, or, or creative ideas that you have used as a church community on mission to engage the community you're in? A big one for us has been the school system. If you want to get involved in families' lives, I mean, it's right there in front of you. So what have you done with the school system? Uh, so my kids obviously are involved in the school system, but uh, my wife uh, is a tutor, and I coach basketball and have volunteered in different aspects. So just, And then just taking, again, I take coffee into the office at the middle school um, a couple times a month, so I've just built relationships and through that, we've, you know, been able to impact uh, through that. I've been asked to then serve on different teams and do different things in the school system just because I was there. Mm. And so they thought, I'll ask that guy. Related to the, to the former question, if you're an elder, older congregation, that's one thing you could do is take coffee into the teachers, volunteers, grandparents of the day. I think just engaging the, whatever's left of the, the uh, younger uh, community is going to be at the school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so a couple things. I mean, I totally agree. Schools are huge. Uh, so my, like my wife serves on the PTO. I am the field trip dad, the only dad who goes on field trips, um, because I have a job that gives me the flexibility to do it, I guess. Uh, but I, I'm like, I have no excuse. I'm going to go on these field trips with my kids and, and their friends. Uh, so that has helped me build relationships with teachers and uh, the other students and uh, the other thing that we do as a church, uh, I don't know if it's creative or not, but we, uh, has, we have a big gun culture where we live. So we have the church, our church sponsors a trap shooting league, our team in, in the league. And so we have a bunch of Christian guys that f form a team and shoot guns with a bunch of guys. 
all summer and just build relationships that way. So just getting involved in community events and community organizations. And we have a, a gal who's in her 70s in our church who runs the community garden. And, you know, so, and she uses that as an opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. So you can do all kinds of things. I mean, just get involved in the community outside the walls, like you said. Yeah. Just seeing if there's any more down there. <laughs> um, here, here's a, a broad question. What is the number one most important piece of advice you would give for pastoring or planting in a rural community? The number one, the one that comes to, comes to your mind first thing. First thing. You should have four answers here, right? Number one piece of advice, most important piece of advice you'd give for pastoring or planting in a rural community. Come as a servant, not a salesman. That's quotable. Tweet that. I was going to say something that involved more cursing, so I, I won't say it. Um, but basically, the, the gist, the gist of, of it is just don't think you're, you're anything that important. Like, you're just, you, you're there to bring the gospel. You're nothing uh, other than a servant of, of Jesus. And... If you think you're better than the people you're serving, you will never get down to their heart. And yeah. You're just a donkey carrying in Jesus. That's right. There we go. All right. One time I asked my brother, how's the new pastor working out? And, and this is what he responded. He said, he's, he's, he's a great preacher, but he doesn't come out and ride the tractor. Mm. And if we're going to be in you know, rural community, it's about relationships, and it's about building, entering into their world. It's about riding the tractor. It's about helping in the branding. It's about being at the coffee place. And Village Mission sums it up with this one saying, which I think captures it. You love the people and preach the word. Mm-hmm. And, and, if, and if you don't love the people and they don't know it, you'll never survive. Mm. Good word. All right, I'll be contrarian. Maybe because I'm the Portland guy. <laughs> Why not? So, I'm, yeah, and I'm not pastoral. Thankfully, I always never score that on my spiritual gifts test. So I'm alleviated. I don't have to care for people. So, so I sleep well. Um, so, again, again, I'm thinking from that economic development standpoint. Again, I've read so much about just that spark, just that one person, like community after community that was in economic decline. It was like one visionary that had this idea. This old mining community, the copper mine closes down, she has this vision for what it could be. And then fast forward the storyline, 10, 20 years later, it's a vibrant community. And again, we, I think, I remember this conversation last night, I think those of us in ministry, we've been trained like pastorally to I just say it like this, we, we're, we address the symptoms of the issue. So whether it's domestic violence, suicide, drug abuse, whatever. But at the same time, so much of that, there's a deeper root to that. And obviously we know it's sin, it's individual sin, it's systemic sin. But sometimes that root is simple economics. Like we see in large scale, like a city of Detroit. So why is there gangs? Why is there prostitution, drugs, blah, 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 blah. And we look at the sin, we're like, oh, there's people doing bad things. But in reality, yeah, but it's an economic thing. 
So what happens when the mill closes? What happens when the, the mine shuts down? Domestic violence goes up. Suicide goes up. Like all these other, like drug abuse goes up. And obviously we're there to pastor, we're there to plan, but also I think there's that spark to go, but there's something more that we can do than just deal with symptoms. And obviously we don't have the power, but we can be a catalyst to bring about economic change. And because, again, I spend so much time reading um, pouring over articles about economic development in rural communities, and it's like, it's happening all over. Like, someone has a visionary. Again, I'm a mountain biker, so I think I read a lot of articles about mountain biking as a catalyst for economic development, whether it's northern British Columbia or places here in the northwest, and just like, it's happening, it's working. Um, and my struggle is, but we don't think on that level as a church. So what happens if we did? So the challenge is to think, I think, and I, I love what you're pushing. That's why I liked your book, Intrepid, uh, so much, because it pushed me to think, wait a minute, the church ought to be a blessing to the community in economic ways, if possible. Mm -hmm. I was in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan uh, last month or two, when we were there together, and the story was told of this little town of someone who felt called to plant there, and they needed to earn money, and so the wife was a good baker, and so they started a little bakery, and that went over well, and then there was a uh, sort of a dilapidated rundown uh, bed and breakfast and they ended up buying that running the bakery out of it and they ended up hiring people and it brought it brought a level of both economic benefit to the village and a sense of of pride that wait a minute our village isn't on the way out there are there are opportunities here or there are, there's at least some fresh vision i like that you said and i think one of the things the church has to think through is the gospel should bring social lift to a community. And one of the things we're doing in Africa is trying, we have these residencies for pastors. They not just get theological and pastoral training, but they get agricultural training and business training. So when they go to the village, they can ideally bring an economic lift to that village, as well as perhaps sustaining the pastor. Um, so yeah, good, good questions. Um, two more questions. One is, how do you determine how do you determine where to plant a church? I mean, that's, that's just sort of basic question. How do you determine where to plant, plant a church or where a church plant should be? God. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Any thoughts on that? Well, here, I'll be the, the contrarian a little bit on this because... That's because, that's because you have a mustache that every Portland man is envious of. I'm, I'm a... Uh, that's because I'm a hipster. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Amen. Someone who reviewed my book recalled me. They said I was a city sucker hipster. And I thought, <laughs> me in tight jeans is kind of scary. <laughs> but I, I think in, in terms of when we plant in, in small, church, small communities or rural areas, I think there's several questions we should ask. First of all, uh, are there other churches preaching the gospel there? Because if there are, we can actually damage right. the ministry if we go in there and plant another church. Yep. But certainly there are lots of communities where there is not a gospel preaching church. And I think that's where we have to target um, in terms of reaching those communities because those communities have lost the church. And... That's where I think we have to, mm. to focus. It's a good poke. Yeah, in New Hampshire, we have 230 munici municipalities. We've identified 60 towns without any gospel witness. 60. Yeah. So those become, that narrows down the target. 
I think one of the questions somebody, some guys have to ask is, does Jesus want me to go home? Go to where I grew up. Sacrifice all the benefits of living in suburban or urban hipster places and going home. And let me follow up. I think it also has to ask ourselves, are we willing to go where nobody else does? You know, because everybody wants to come to the gorge, you know. I mean, that's where I live, and it's like, it's a great place to live. But who's going to go out to central Montana where there's nothing and, and plant a church out there because there's not a, a, another church in a 50-mile radius? But you're out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and, and that's where we need to be looking. Sam, you were going to say something, Martin. Uh, yeah, I think prayer. Duh. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It sounds simple, but I mean, that was a big thing for us is yep. just figuring out, you know, God, where do you want us to go? And asking that question on our knees again and again and again. And through that, you know, just listening, you know, not for a magical voice from the sky, but listening for those voices around us that were indicating clear things. And as we did that, it became clear. So, I, I think from pragmatic, a pragmatic standpoint, I, if your vision is to reach, you know, a county or a region, you know, identify kind of where, where those communities are that are impacting that county, and yeah, look around and see what, what opportunities are there. So. Like we have, Anago is the county seat. It's where Walmart is. It's where the everyone comes. Now we can. Now we're starting churches in these towns of 300, 400 people outside of that by 20, 30 miles. But you know, you start somewhere and you work your way out. I mean, it just depends on what what the Lord has put on your heart to for your vision to re- what group of people He wants you to reach. So for us, it's Langlade County in Wisconsin, and that's. That's our vision, and we want to reach that place. And so we started with the county seat and move, are moving out from there. Last question. You two guys are with Acts 29. Uh, Sean, oh, the Table Network, which is an awesome network if you're not familiar with it. It's basically using the, the, the well, the kitchen table is a primary, or a dining room table is a primary means of doing mission. It's just a beautiful, uh, and we require, like in, where we are in New Hampshire, require all of our community groups to have a meal together because it becomes a means of, of invitation and all that. And then, um, Gary, you're with um, Village Mission. Well, right. I know you're on the board. I'm on the board of Village Mission. So just could you guys end with what are the benefits of church planting or pastoring or, or being connected with one or more uh, networks? Some of you are, um, I think, Sam, you're with not just Acts 29, but you're also connected with the Conservative Baptist. Is that correct? Yep. And you're with the Evangelical Free? Yeah. So just talk through the benefit of being in a network when it comes to planting. Go right down the line. Tom, start with you. Go right down. Benefit for me, um, so Acts 29 uh, was our initial um, group because I I was a man without a country. I didn't grow up in a denomination. Grew up in non-denominational Bible churches, and so I had no no one to go to. Um, So I, I... lean towards Acts 29 because of theological distinctives of the network and the missional engagement, and those two things were just right where I was at at that point. Um, And then very recently joined the Evangelical Free Church because of uh, the local emphasis of church planting in Wisconsin that that our district has. And so, you know, Acts 29 is kind of that global 
thing for us, and then EFCA is that local thing. So that, that's why we decided to partner on both of those ends. Uh, for me, it was two things, relationship and training. Relationship with? Other pastors. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So building those relationships and, you know, having that community of, of brothers um, and, and, then, and then training too. So those two things for me, um, going through Bible college and resisting with all my might the urge to go to seminary um, just because I don't have time. So, but still wanting to become better, wanting to learn, you know, you see guys around you doing things that you wish you could do, so you want to pick their brains. And so just networking in that way was, has, been my, has been my big thing. Great. And Sean, we know you're not a pastor, and we know you're not called to be a pastor. But I literally I carry ordination in two denominations, so. Wow, that's still most ordained, better twice than over. most of us. And that, I know. So the table and network and uh, why it's a, a benefit for guys? Well, I think in general, just kind of what you guys have shared, there's you, probably looking for theological affinity and cultural affinity. And that cultural affinity is just could be, you know, um, yeah, because every network has a vibe, has a culture to it, and you're looking for other people to run with. Um, and so obviously you want theological unity as well. So, yeah, it's important to, like you, said, you guys were saying, just relationships and networking and more than that, just a family to run with. Hmm. I think I agree with everything they say. The one thing I'd add maybe a little bit, it's a little bit different, is that I think those of us who are older tend to not see fellowship broader as, as necessary because we're, we're got good relationships in our church. Uh, but I think we need to recognize the importance of finding the younger guys and mentoring them and developing relationships with them. And they want that. That's the, the, the great thing about the younger generation. They want relationships and mentoring. And we need to do that. We need to find those guys and say, hey, let me, I've, I've been around the block a few times. Let me come alongside you and help you uh, learn that. And plus, in the process, we get some cross-pollinization because we get the younger perspective that challenges us to think differently than what we've been doing. So, Guys, thanks for being here. Why don't you give them a hand and... Uh... I know they're around if you want to interact with them. Uh, before we take a quick break, inside the book that we gave you, the, um, Gary's book, Forgotten Church. Yeah. Glenn. Did I say Gary? I'll blame it on jet lag. Glenn's book. Glenn's book. Um, they're inside there. If you want to get on the e email list for um, uh, Acts 29, Rural Collective, a, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a card in there you can use. It's got a QR code or whatever they're called. Um, you can, if you don't know how to scan that, one guy said, I got a flip phone. I can't do that, right? Well, we get that. Uh, but we'd love to stay in contact with you. Again, we're not here to, and I just want to honor Village Missions. Awesome, awesome ministry. Acts 29 isn't here to compete with Village Mission. We're just another wing of God's church. But uh, if you need to connect um, with us or want to stay connected with us, we'd love to do that. We're going to take a 10-minute break, and we're back for our final session. All right?